when I cover these topics, we're probably only going to look at a portion of this today. We probably won't finish all of it, and that's okay. I want to take my time with this, as I like to take my time through the scriptures with different things to learn and to grow. And this, uh, I titled this in Proverbs 31, Woman's Marriage is Built on Trust. We're going to talk about trust and uh, being trustworthy and understanding. You know, really, it, this can apply to any of us when the Bible says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, right? So the, the Bible deals with submission. It deals with uh, being in subjection to Christ, being in subjection to authority that is over you, you know, us being subject one to another in different matters. One of the main ways that you and I get along in a church, that we love one another, one of the main ways that we can do that is if we have a spirit of being subject one to another. That means that we don't have to have the preeminence in any arguments or anything like that. And for the sake of arguing, I don't mean for truth, and you, you understand what I mean by that. But none of us have to go about in the church house and amongst our brothers and try to force a preeminence upon them, right? But we just love one another, and we're subject one to another in that way, right? Does that make sense to you? It's not. It doesn't mean that we lay down, we're just like, you know, fish flopping around where we don't have a spine or, you know, or anything uh, specific that we hold to or uh, jellyfish or anything like that, like that one guy said. But, uh, seasoned with grace. Right, seasoned with grace, right? So it's, it's that we, we love each other. So we're not trying to dominate each other in a conversation, right? None of us should ever be that way in that sense of, you know, there's right and wrong, there's truth and error, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, be wishy-washy with any of that, but in our delivery and our manner of how we deal with one another in a setting of, you know, brotherly kindness and everything, that's, we're, we're subject one to another in that way. That way, you know, we don't dominate each other, and we're not cruel to each other, but we're kind, and we're, we're, um, uh, gentle in that sense with each other. So no one leaves, uh, yeah, you, you might have a spirit of debate at times or discussion about something, but you, you ought not leave that with a spirit of, man, I just got like, you know, beat down or whatever. That, that shouldn't be us. That's not, that's the world. That's the way they deal with it. We don't do that though. We're not, we don't do that to each other. Uh, and that, that's part of what that means as far as being subject one to another. I don't know why I got off on that, but that's okay, because we're really talking about subjection here, a little bit here in, in, in understanding that. Proverbs 31, verse 11. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. And this verse goes along with it, which I don't think we'll probably get to all of it here, but that's okay. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, that verse really, and I'm not going to talk about that specifically, but that she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life, that's her motive. Think about that. That's the motive that she has. Her motive is to do him good. Her actions prove that. By, by the motive, motives of her heart, her actions prove that, that she has a design to do him good and not evil all the days of her life. We'll, we'll get to that maybe later on, but let's, we're going to cover the heart of her husband to safely trust her, but that's why he trusts her, because her motives are very open and clear and true. Uh, she will do him good and not evil. That's her motive. That's, that's the direction of her life. That's what she, uh, in subjection to her husband, that's what, that's what her motives are. That's very important to understand. Motives mean a lot. It's God that judges the motives, but you and I have to understand the motives of our own heart. And if they're not right, we have to ask God to make them right. Amen? Lord, give me the right motives. <laughs> right? Make me have the right motive in, in, in that sense and, and the right direction. Because uh, that's what a, a Proverbs 31 woman does. The wife 
the virtuous woman, she will do him good and not evil. That's, that's how our life is played out. Father, Lord, we pray you bless us now. Help us as we seek your face in the word of God. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, marriage, the one, th- the one comment I want to make to you about this is marriage is never to be man-centered, but it's always to be Christ-centered. Marriage, the institute of marriage was made by God. It is owned by God. He is the head of it in that sense. He is, he is the creator of it. He created marriage. So God has the authority over marriage. God's word has the authority over marriage. It's not, you know, you or me in that sense, in, in that respect to the institution of marriage or the church. The church doesn't have authority over the marriage. The Bible has authority over the marriage. Does that make sense to you? Because it's God's word. Now, the, God has given the church certain um, uh, protocols, right, to follow and to, and to handle and disciplines and everything else like that in order to help marriages and to grow families and to keep them from destroying themselves and different things like that. But it's the Bible that's our final authority in marriage. It isn't the pastor. It isn't the church. It's the Lord. It's his word. It's what God says in his word that is the final authority of all matters of faith and practice, right? In this sense, it's our guide for marriage. It's our guide for what's right. And if you want to know what it means to be a godly wife, then you have to get into the scriptures and find that out. You ought to care what the Bible says about you being a godly wife. You ought to care about that. As a husband, you ought to care to nurture that, that your wife is a godly woman, and you ought to nurture that in her and help her with that. That's your duty. That's, that, that's what God has commanded you to do as well, is to nurture and cherish your wife and to teach her. You know, that's, you teach it by the washing of water with the word, right? This is the, it's the word of God. That's what you, if you come at your wife with anything else, when you're in marriage, if you come at your wife with anything else and not the design of the scriptures and you're just, you know, you set up your bully pulpit and you're going to do that. The problem is, is that you have no authority to do what you're doing and she's not going to listen to you. Or if she does listen to you, she'll do it with a bad spirit. But if it's the Word of God and your marriage is built on the Word of God, then both of you will be subject to the Word of God. And your marriage will work. Why? Because you both fear God. Amen. That's just it. You both fear God. Any marriage between two saints can work that are married. I'm talking about saved people now. Listen to me. I'm not talking about lost and saved people mixed and all that. I'm talking about two saved people. Any marriage will work if both of you fear God. It will. I don't care what your challenges are. It doesn't matter. If you fear God, then God and God's word, what it says matters to you. And both of you fear God. Right? For instance, I'll give you an example of this. And this is not part of my message, but it is now. Here's, here's the thing that, that, that I'll give you an example of this for you to understand. Um, a wife is to care for her husband in the, in the, you know, with the marriage bed and all those other things, right? But that in and of itself will never keep a man true and faithful. What keeps a man true and faithful? Fearing God. Do you get it? Now, you go a long way to do your role as a wife and, 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 a, and, a, and a, a lady that loves the Lord, but you fearing God should be the motive for you being a good wife right? And a husband fearing God will keep that man faithful, and God will use the wife that is caring for her husband in the proper way to keep him faithful. You see how that works? But the motives are what matters. You have to fear God. In your marriage, you have to fear God. 
In everything that you and I do, we have to fear God. What does that mean? It means I, I, I obey his book. I see it. God's word tells me what to do. And I'm like, and I fear God, so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to follow God because I fear him. Not like I'm scared that God's going to throw me into hell. No, I reverence him because he saved my soul. He gave me, he gave his son a, a, a ransom for my soul. He died for my sins and he, and he was buried and he rose again from the dead. And I am in awe and respect of him, right? So I don't want to, I, I don't, I do in that sense, there is some fear there in that, in that sense of that you fear God and you respect him with a reverence that you would never do things that were purposely contradicting his word. I don't believe most Christians really, most of the time, do anything on purpose to, you know, be wrong with God. They fall into things, and sometimes we get rebellious. I'm not saying that, but for the most part, most Christians, they, they um, act spontaneous, or they do something they shouldn't do, and they regret it. They get backed into a corner, or they do something they shouldn't do, they regret it. But for the most part, most Christians, they don't want to make it their plan to disobey God. That's not really what their motives are, for the most part. All right? So that's important to understand. But that shows that you fear God. Those things do. Number one, true biblical subjection, it takes faith. Ladies, here's the thing that you have to understand. It takes faith for you to follow a fallen man. I don't mean he's fallen like he's in sin all the time. What I mean is because of his fallen nature. He's... he's He's a sinner saved by grace, amen? But he's a sinner nonetheless. And it takes faith for you to follow a sinner. But that was part of, that was part of the curse that has not been done away with and won't be until you go home. You will be in subjection. You were always to be in subjection when Adam was first formed, then Eve. So you were always made to be in subjection to your husband. But Adam was a perfect man before he fell. And when in Genesis chapter 3, when, when God pronounces the judgment upon sin and the sinner, when he pronounces that punishment upon them, he says that thy desire to be, shall be to him and he shall rule over thee. Well, why is that a punishment? Well, it's a punishment because you're going to be in subjection to a sinner, not a perfect man. One that is capable of failure. One that, is, one that does not do everything right. One that has a fallen and corrupt nature. One that is not perfect. Right? And in sorrow, you'll conceive children. Why? Because you'll raise children that will die. And they'll be sinners. And they'll break your heart. Amen. And then that's never changed. That since the beginning of time, since the fall of man, in that sense, that, that's always the way it's been. So it, it literally takes faith. Faith that is exercised in order to follow a, a, your husband and to submit to your husband. It takes faith to do that. Because the reason she can be trusted by her husband, this woman, is because her first love is God. See, your, your first love has to be the Lord. You have to follow the Lord in your life, and that makes you a better wife and you a better husband when you follow the Lord. That means I, 
because I have an absolute standard that does not move. There's so much power in that. When I can go out and preach this book and I can live this book and I'd say, I have an absolute standard that does not move. It's not going to change with society. I'm not going to wake up and God's rules aren't going to be different. He doesn't change. His word is truth. And I can hold to it. No matter what. So you as a wife have to have that relationship with God. You have to have that. The reason that she's in subjection to her husband is because she trusts the Lord. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. See, again, it takes faith to, to, to submit, to be in subjection to your own husband. It takes faith. First Peter chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 5. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. They also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Remember, we talked about that last week. That chaste conversation, what is that? Virtue. That virtuous woman. So Peter starts it out the same way Proverbs 31 does. The virtuous wife, the virtuous woman, right? Your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, that's a godly respect for your husband, for the Lord first. Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. They were adorned, they adorned themselves with subjection. And, and, and if, I can, if I can reiterate anything to you when I try to teach you as, as uh, husbands and wives and especially as wives, if you would understand this one thing. You will always be tempted to run your mouth. You will always be tempted to teach your husband. You will always be tempted to, to let your voice be heard. But that is the most ineffective way to reach your husband. For you to reach your husband. Why is that? Because God said it. That's all, that's, all, that's all I can give you. You say, what's your rationale for that, preacher? God. My authority to say that is the word of God alone. It's not me. I didn't dream it up. If I dreamed it up, I'd be like wanting to yell. You know, be like, tell him to yell at your husband. Tell him to shut up. Tell him to knock it off. Right? That's, if we made it up, right, Brother Paul, we'd be like, man, knock it off. You know, run your mouth. Tell him what to do. Because that makes sense, right? You're saying there, well, I know he's doing this wrong, or I know this is wrong. I mean, I know this is this. And they want to, right? And you're natural. But what does the Bible say? Do the opposite of that. That's what the Bible says. 
It says to have a meek and quiet spirit. You know what I find in marriages when they're really wonky and messed up? Here's what I find. I find the men like, like little kitty cats licking fingers, and I find the women bold as a lion preaching. What do we got to do? Switch that thing around! It's wrong, and that's why it's so messed up. The woman wants to be the tiger that's ferocious, and the guy wants to be the beta. And, that's, and it's wrong, and it messes everything up. You say, I don't agree with that. I don't care. You disagree with God then, because that's what God said plainly in his word. You can't get around it. It's, it's so very plain, that model, that uh, you do not know how many women have won their husbands by their meek and quiet spirit. <laughs> Finally, it broke, it broke the husband down. And they got saved, those men did. Why? It broke them down. Their, her testimony broke them down. Well, I mean, she's been faithful through all these things. She's been submitted to me. She's done right, and I've done nothing but do wrong the whole time. And it broke them down. God used it to save their souls. But you think, no, if I be a bold preacher, then I'll preach to them, and I'll tell them, and that'll, it'll really win them. No, it won't. Do the opposite. Just make them mad. There ain't nothing that makes a man more madder than a bossy woman. And being raised by a bossy woman is even worse. Boy, you want to talk about developing anger issues in a man? <laughs> have him raised, have, have a young man raised by a bossy, loudmouth woman. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it just, it, it, you'll totally, you will totally cause that man to resent you. But I'm going to tell you what, when you act the opposite of that, it may not happen right there. It may not happen that second, but I'm going to tell you, it's working. Because I'll tell you what, I've got, I, I, I've gotten pretty excited before. I don't scream and yell at my wife or anything like that, but I've gotten pretty excited before and, and all that kind of stuff. And man, I walk out of the house and I'm like, oh man, I'm just not happy and all this stuff. And I'm going out there and I'm shoveling the driveway and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, and I ain't saying I'm sorry either. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing that. Man, I'm shoveling that driveway and God's working on my heart. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like... Uh-oh, I gotta go back in there and apologize now. <laughs> oh man. And God just used it to melt my heart. Why? Oh, she didn't stand there. She didn't say a word to me. Right? See, that's how it works. That's why, generally speaking, those women get pretty much everything that they want. I don't mean material things and all that, but that's that could be part of it. But they they pretty much their husbands don't doubt what they say very often. Like they trust him. A lot. <coughs> Amen. I'm telling you, it's God's way, friend. It's the total opposite of what your reasoning is and what you've seen growing up in this world. Because what we've seen growing up in this world is absolutely false. And it's produced a bunch of, uh, a bunch of in God's eyes, I don't mean this that they're not human and we don't love them, but worthless men and women when it comes to doing what God would have them to be. Right? 
ruined relationships, destroyed families. All of it. Why? Because you tried to do stuff outside of God's bounds when what God told you the way to do it. And we got to do it God's way, amen? But it takes faith. It, it literally, it takes faith. Because you don't, you, it means you believe God. And you believe the promises of God, therefore you submit to your husband. You just believe God. It's not because your husband's perfect. It's not because he never makes mistakes. It's not because he always loves you the way you should be loved. And that he always does right things. But because your first love is the Lord and you walk with God. And because you have a walk with God, you are a submissive wife. Well, you better get that straight. You'll never, as a church member, if you don't walk with God and you don't do that, boy, you, you'll, you'll get mad at the pastor. You'll hate the pastor. You'll end up walking out and leaving for good. Why? Because he ain't a perfect man. That's why. But you aren't here because the pastor's perfect. You're here because Jesus is. Amen? You're definitely not here because the pastor's perfect. You're here because Jesus Christ is perfect and this is his way. Not because the pastor always does everything. Right. Right? Not because, and you wives, you're not there because your husband always does things right. And you husbands, you're not always a good husband or try to be a good husband because your wife's always right. It's because you love God and you love them. That's why. Amen. And that's important to understand. Because if you get that messed up, if you ever get that order messed up, you won't, you won't love your husband. You'll resent him. You'll grow to hate him. Real quick. By the way, if your wife doesn't do what, what she's supposed to do at times, and, and, you, and, and you forget what your motivation is supposed to be to honor and glorify God with your life, you'll shirk your responsibilities and find an excuse to walk out on your wife. And you'll find a Bible verse somewhere for it. Amen. You'll find a reason behind it somewhere for it. Man, there's got to be a reason why I can disobey. There's got to be a reason why I, 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 I can walk away. There's got to be an excuse I can have for this. There's got to be something. Come on, that's real, friend. It is. That's where the rubber meets the road real. And I'd like to give it to you now so I don't have to do it on the other side when there's a bunch of tears and you, and, and you, and you destroy your lives. I, I'd like to say it to you now. Get it out there now. Amen. Get those hard things out there now and pound that out and go through the Word of God and get that solid now because that's important. It's important that you have the right understanding of why you submit. It's because you're submitted to the Lord. You children are the same way as you submit to your parents. Your parents are imperfect people. They're very imperfect people. I know, because I parent eight children. Amen. They have very imperfect parents. They have parents that make mistakes. They have parents that, that are sinners. They have parents that don't do things correctly all the time. Right? They have parents that, are, that, that, uh, that have to grow and learn, just like you do. But you still submit yourself. Why? Because you honor God. Because you're submitted to the Lord. And you wait on God. And you believe that God will do a work. Your submission is Christ-based, not man-based. You're not a man-pleaser. Right? No, we don't do what we do to please man. We do what we do to please God. By the way, that'll get you through anything. Amen. If your motivations are to please God, it'll get you through anything. Anything, anything life throws at you, God will use it and you will be stronger and God will strengthen you. He will help you. Amen. That's, that's just, that's the, that's the way it is. It's the way God set it up to be.
You take your marriage vows seriously because you take your walk with God seriously. That's just, that's just it. If you have a very shallow walk with God, you'll have a very shallow view of marriage and submission to your own husband, as is fit in the Lord, the Bible says. Right? We obviously don't mean to imply that you should submit to evil and wickedness and things that are vile in God's sight. Of course not. Because that would be a betrayal of the Lord, right? But, you, but, but in that case, that goes without saying, but in this world you have to say that now, right? But uh, uh, more so than ever. But the Bible's very clear as far as that goes. So that's important that you understand it, true biblical subjection takes faith. You don't think about that that's a trial of your faith. You think about it's just an earthly thing. It's just, uh, you know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? Against powers, against the evil, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, right? But sometimes you and I think, well, it's just the people in front of us. No, it's the spirit that's behind them. They're going through trials and everything else. They're going through temptations and everything else. They're imperfect in their flesh as well. But that doesn't mean that you don't submit and you don't do things the right way right? Just because they're wrong. Just because they're not right with things. Just because they, they don't cherish and love like they should and they don't do. Your, your submission and your subjection is because of Christ, and it should be. Amen? Okay, so next. Uh, the number one attribute of the Proverbs 31 wife, besides being that virtuous woman, is that she is trustworthy. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. You know, this reminds me of something that happened to me, and it's a very light, uh, small thing in comparison. It, things, by the way, when you're first married, everything seems like a big deal. <laughs> Every, everything seems like a big deal, right? Pizza through the grates, last five dollars. Been holding on to that one for a long time. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, everything seems to be a big deal. Like now, that's really funny. I look back on it, I'm like, that's pretty funny. How do we do that? That pizza it just dripped right through those grates. I saw the last five bucks that I had dripping right through those grates. I ain't got no food in this house. Look at that. I ain't eating that. <laughs> right? So I look at that. Like that's the, now I look back 21 years ago, like, man, that's funny. I can't believe that. Wasn't funny then, though, was it? But it happened, right? Things like that happened. But I, I remember... I was, this was like a, I think it was like a Thursday night, and I was, I was at a, our church had this uh, Bible institute that we, you know, learned Baptist history and learned uh, Bible, Baptist doctrine and stuff like that for the men, right? So we'd come, a couple of the men, the younger men that were, wanted to be in the ministry, they would, they would go and they would learn and, you know, sit and, and, um, and learn, learn some things uh, for a couple hours uh, and, and all that stuff from the pastor and everything and uh, kind of a private teaching thing, which was nice, right? Um, but uh, so I remember getting back and I remember my wife telling me, she was like, she was like, yeah, some guy called up and he, <laughs> and he, and he, he said, uh, he had this bill that you, that you owed him for and all this stuff. And, and she's, yeah, she's young and inexperienced. <laughs> she gave him all my information. I mean, everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what, what, what in the world did you do? I go, you don't tell nobody. And see, I come, I was like on the streets and stuff. So I was like, I was like, man, you don't give nobody nothing. Don't tell them you even know me. Yeah. You don't know me. Don't tell them anything. No. <laughs> Hang up on them. <laughs> but she didn't know. She's just, she's as honest as the day is long, right? They just give it to her. She's like, okay, you want this? She just, just 
<laughs> she gives him everything. I was like, what in the world? We married. I married like a month or two. <laughs> I was like, oh man. But uh, <laughs> it worked out fine. But anyway, it was it was funny the way she did. But I remember the pastor. I you know we, he had talked to me or something. We, we were talking about her or something. He goes, yeah. He goes, she'll learn. <laughs> He made she'll learn what's right and what's what's not and everything. But she's 19 years old, never been through anything, you know, never never been through anything in life, and and never had those experiences. And you remember back then, you know, things weren't like they are now. Like your whole life's online, you know, you you got everything online, you know. So, but anyway, so she, uh, you know, I talked to her about that. But again, that's like a, you think about that. That's like a minor little trust issue, right? That you you go through and you have little things like that, and that could make a man be like, "Well, hey, what's going on here?" Right? But you learn things and you grow, right? So you learn to trust each other in marriage. You learn to trust your wife, and your wife does things that are trustworthy because you know her motives are true, right? And her motives are right. So she did, you know, she's not trying to hurt anybody, or she's not trying to to be bad to you, or to she will do you good and not evil all the days of her life, right? And you know, it, it, that's just an example of something minor that you would learn and you would grow through, right? You would be like, okay. She's like, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> After that conversation, she never did that again. But, but anyway, um, it's things that women will learn and grow through, right? But your motives do have to be correct. They have to be right. One attribute and one quality that must be in a wife is that she can be trusted. I don't mean to cover wicked sins and cover up for abuse or things that are wrong and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm speaking of private matters between a husband and a wife. The longer you are married, the more you and your wife will know about each other, your strengths and your weaknesses. On this earth, on this earth, not, not, not talking about God, you know, tell no man everything but tell your wife more than you tell others. Confide in her more than you do anyone on this earth. I don't mean God himself, obviously. But you're gonna, you should have a closeness with your wife as one flesh that you two ought to talk. There shouldn't be, okay, your wife knows everything about, if you're close to your wife and you're, and you're real, <laughs> your wife knows everything about you. Now, some of you are young and, and newly married, so you don't know much about each other at all, but you're gonna learn a lot. Uh, as time goes by. But, you know, but if you've been married for any amount of time, your wife knows everything about you. She even knows how you think pretty much. So the longer you're married, she understands, like my wife understands how I think. Like I can make a comment to my wife and literally like two minutes later, I didn't ask her to do anything, but she like already has it done and she's already like there. It's almost like a completion of my sentence. Like she just knows what I'm thinking like she doesn't she gets it she understands how I think no he's not gonna like that right why well because your relationship grows and you entrust each other with more and you're one flesh like God you know God really means that don't you you get that like you're not supposed to be listen to me you're not supposed to be strangers in the house or 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 you don't share a bedroom right with each other like that, you are, you are one flesh in God's eyes. 
That's why, I'll tell you something, and, and I've learned this from experience as a pastor, uh, very seldom, very, 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 very seldom will, I hate getting involved in, <laughs> I'm like a cop that hates getting involved in domestic disputes. Right? Because cops always know that they're going to get bashed in the brains for it. Well, pastors know, too, that they're going to get bashed in the brains. Because I'm going to tell you what, I don't care how much that woman comes crying to you, she will turn on you. <laughs> she just she just will. I, 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 she will. She will turn on you. Oh, she will turn on you. I learned that the hard way. But I learned it. I learned it. But also, my goal is never to separate a husband and wife. It's to bring them together in one conversation together so we can talk. This whole, if there's a problem in my marriage, I'm just going to talk to the man thing. Well, if you have a problem with your wife, oh no, 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 no. If you come complain to me to your wife, we're all going to talk together. Why? Well, because you're complaining about your wife or you have a problem with your wife, you have a challenge there or whatever the case may be. If you have that issue, then we need to come together and talk. I ain't got to just talk to you. Then I don't hear her, her side of the story. Maybe she's not wrong. Maybe she's right. <laughs> Maybe she's right about it. I'm just hearing your side of the story. That's no, you get, if you want people to come together, you get them together and you get them talking together, right? We don't, I ain't gonna split you up. No, and here's another thing I don't do. If there's a disciplinary issue with the family and the church and, and they're gonna leave whatever, I don't come between that husband and wife. Oh no, you leave together. You came together, you leave together. Uh-uh. You ain't blaming me for that. Nope. You ain't blaming me for that. I've been blamed for a lot of things in my life. Things I didn't even know existed. But I've been blamed for them anyway. And, I, and what I do is I'm like, nope. You're going together. You came together, you leave together. You got married for better or for worse. You put that ring on that finger, you're married. You go together. If you get right, you come back together getting right. I ain't splitting up no marriages in the name of God, and then, and, then, and then put that in. Now, let me preface that by saying, if there's a situation that comes up and this man's a, been proven to be wicked, you know what I mean. Wicked to children, wicked to his wife, wicked, just wicked. Things that we won't even discuss. If that's proven, that might be a different story. But if you don't have nothing like that, nope. Well, we don't, we don't just get along. I had somebody ask me that one time. Their husband was not doing right. And by the way, she didn't listen to me anyway when I told her, you ought to wait, don't get married. She didn't listen to me. You ought to wait. She just better wait. I don't know. Better wait. Didn't listen to me. Did it. And then, I, and then asked me, well, do you think, and their husband was all messed up, wasn't right with God, right? And he was, got disciplined, he had to leave, right? He wasn't doing right. He was living wickedly. And, and, you know, this person asked me in this counseling session, well, do you think, do you think it's, and do you think it's safe for me to go with him? You know, is there, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's your husband. I mean, you didn't tell me about anything that was vile or dangerous or anything like that, right? So, yeah, what was that? I ain't going to give somebody a reason to leave their husband. I'm going to give somebody a reason to, or cause dissension in that marriage. No, it, it's your husband made a choice. He made a decision. You follow your husband. And you'll answer, you, he'll answer to God for what he's done. 
but I'm not getting in the middle of that. No, no, no. Nope. Why? Because it can cause a lot of trouble that's unnecessary and it bring reproach. Right? They're responsible for them. I'm not responsible for them if they don't want to do right. If somebody doesn't want to do right, I'm not responsible. And I'm not here to split people up and do all that. No, I'm not. No. Uh-uh. Nope. That's a hard case, isn't it? But there's usually enough blame to go around. It ain't just one person in the marriage when there's a problem. Don't kid yourself. Or don't lie to yourself. When, you, when a marriage gets to a point like that, it ain't just one person and you're a victim. I'm not saying a man can't be a tyrant. I'm not saying a man can't be bad. I'm not saying there aren't circumstances that could arise from things like that. But for the most part, generally speaking, things can be worked on when you trust one another and you love one another. Almost always. Amen. Okay. In speaking of private matters between a husband and a wife, the longer you're married, the more you and your wife will know about each other, your strengths and your weaknesses, your faults and your failures. These things are to be guarded by each other unless they are abusive sins and crimes and such that are to be dealt with. You know, when we have discussions like that, people tend to go zero to 60 in about two seconds. But honestly, the longer you're married, no one will know you like your wife and husband will. No one. Our spouses see us at our worst. They see us at our best. But when we speak of those vows for better, for worse, it's the worst of us that they see at times. If you ever wanted, wanted truly to find out what a man was like, you can ask his wife and children. They would, they would know if he's consistently the man you see. That's why the qualifications of a bishop right, are, uh, or a deacon or an elder, right, speak of the home so much. Why? Well, it shows. It shows. And remember, brethren, we're imperfect men serving a perfect God. But your wife should be trustworthy. She's someone you should be able to confide in more than anyone in this world. She gives her whole heart to her husband and enjoys his full confidence. The husband of such a wife goes forth to his daily occupations having full confidence in her home. He leaves at home that she will act discreetly and promote his interest while he is absent, says one. The heart of her husband trusteth in her with the repose of satisfaction, with the tranquility of perfect assurance. The bond uniting husband and wife in a true marriage is not unlike that uniting us with God. And happy are they who by their trust in one another and the peaceful joys which it brings are led to united trust and yet a deeper love mirrored to them in their own. It is true the picture here is mainly that of confidence that the wife is not a squanderer of her husband's goods, but the sweet thought goes far beyond the immediate application. First of all, the question must be asked, does your husband have your heart? That's a good question. You know, the Bible talks about that, my son, give me thine heart. Does, does your husband have your heart? That's a very good question. It's a very good thing to ponder. It's a very good thing to think about. 
as a, and as children, as a, as a daughter, do, do, does my father have my heart? Does my mother have my heart? Do you have the heart of your children? Do you go after the heart of your children to have it? Because out of it are the issues of life, like we talked about last week in the children's class. Out of it are the issues of life. If you have their heart, their obedience will follow. If you don't have their heart, their obedience will be uh, very temporary until they come out of, uh, until they come off from under your bonds and they'll do whatever they want. And sometimes we're tricked. Sometimes we can think we have our, our children's heart, or sometimes we can think that we, we have that and we don't. That's why we have to diligently uh, go after it like the scriptures say. Very few preachers ever preach on these things. I'll be honest with you. The simplest institutions, you know, being strong on the local New Testament church and understanding why we do what we do and preach those things, being strong on the institution of the family, the home and marriage and everything else and being specific about it and teaching parents that it's not the youth pastor that's to have your heart. It's not this person, the pastor that's to have their heart. It's the father and mother that's to have their heart and to go after it. And I'm just being a secondary backup to it. Right? To enforce your authority and to encourage them. And for them to know that if dad was wrong about something, then the pastor will preach the truth. He will guide them and direct them in the truth and tell them they're wrong. Right? That's the way it should be. Happy are they who by their trust in one another have that peaceful joy of marriage. First of all, does your husband have your heart and can he trust you with his? These are building blocks of a biblical marriage. Marriages are built on Christ and then they are built on trust. If you cannot trust or do not trust, then you are not loving one another. Plain and simple, you're not loving each other. You should never betray one another's trust. The most grossest way possible to betray one another's trust, you may think is adultery, which is a grievous betrayal and can cause a death to the covenant. But worse than that is lying. Worse than that. Worse than adultery in that sense is lying. Why? Because if you're a liar, you're capable of anything if you're practicing deceit. Any of those sins. You don't lie to each other. By the way, you don't have to tell everybody everything. Not even your wife. There's some things that you just tell the Lord. You don't tell anybody. Sometimes, like I said, you can have a thousand feelings and all of them are bad. That doesn't mean you share them with people. You take them to God. But sometimes you have to. Sometimes you need to talk. Sometimes you need to, to talk to somebody. And your wife can go a long ways. But there's a limit to what your wife can handle too. There's a limit. I've been in situations before where, where I exceeded that limit of what my wife could handle. And I realized something. As much as, as close as we are and as one flesh as we are, there are certain things that I cannot put upon her that I can only take to God. And I had to ask God, I asked her to forgive me and I had to ask God to forgive me. It's like, you know what? I can't expect that out of my wife. Those are things I need to take to God. No, no one can handle that. It'll press them down and crush them under the weight of the burden. So you take it to the Lord and you give it to Him in that case. God will give you wisdom to teach you what those things are. 
Things are very simple in the beginning of your marriage, but they grow more complex as time goes by. More challenge, more variables, more situations arise in your relationship. More, more challenges as you grow older and with children and everything else. Pressures that come. But God's way is simple. Even though, even though trials come and hardships come, God's way is simple. Simple obedience goes a long ways. Love is built on truth, and marriage is built on truth. Lovers don't lie to each other. We may not always express everything to one another, and some things are better left prayed about than spoken about at times, but trust should be there. No marriage is built on distrust. Husbands lying and wives lying, not honest with each other, are not walking in integrity. And you'll raise monsters of iniquity, the most manipulating, dishonest children ever by lying to each other. Right? Lying and not being honest with each other. You'll raise little monsters. Teaching your children not to, uh, not to follow their father's commands. Some of you have told stories about, you know, uh, your parents being married and then all of a sudden, you know, mom is stepping out on somebody else. You know what that does to a child's brain? You know what that does to his heart? It's about crushing his heart leaving effects on that for the rest of their life? Well, that's a, that's a huge issue, right? That's a bigger one. But a smaller one on a smaller level is creating distrust in a marriage. On the simplest level, wives not fulfilling their duties and being honest with their husbands, husbands not being honest with their wives, it creates distrust. And that distrust it creates dysfunction. And that dysfunction is it, 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 you, you end up living in a house where everybody's going their own way. And that's dangerous. We build our, our lives are built upon trust in the Lord and trust in others. And we're trustworthy people, right? And if we fail, we get it right. But we don't live our lives in deceit. And we don't live our lives in dysfunction like that. Amen. We're honest with each other. Strong marriages are built on trust, and trust is earned as years go by. You learn to trust each other more and more. It's not automatic. If you do things early on to hurt that trust, it may take even longer to build it. The more dishonesty, the more, the more you don't behave yourself rightly in, in certain things like that, if you, if you become that way, um, you will cause that distrust to build, and then, then it's a faulty foundation, and it's going to crumble, and then you're going to have to rebuild it. You know what happens when a basement wall starts to go bad? You know what happens, right? You ever seen that where it shifted, uh, brother? And you ever seen that, brother, where you had to dig all the way down into the foundation of that? You had to take a jack and you had to jack that wall back up and you had to, what did you have to do? You had to strengthen that wall again. You got to fortify it, right? Keep it, uh, push it back in, fix the wall, bury it back in, right? And build it back up again. A lot of work, a lot of work isn't it? So guess what? If you don't do things the right way, every day and build your relationship and your marriage on right things, then you got to go back and you got to dig in, dig all that down in there, build that foundation back up, straighten that wall up that is crooked and crumbling and, 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 uh, and start over with that in essence. So don't destroy the trust in one another like that. Whether it's, by the way, you children and your parents, don't destroy the trust of your parents. 
If your parents trust you, don't destroy that. Don't destroy it. If, if you keep yourself honest, if you say you're going to do something, if you say you're, you're going to be somewhere, if you say you're going to handle something a certain way, then you do it. You do it. Don't build your life on distrust. I know people that can't even look me in my eye and have a really decent conversation because everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. Family members, you just can't even talk to them because they just spew lies. All that, like they've they've built their entire life on absolute lies. Like looking at me and saying, yeah, I, 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 in my business, I've led like 300, 3,000 Muslims or 300 Muslims to Christ in my multi-level marketing company. Sure you have, buddy. Sure you have. Just keep telling yourself that. I just, I, it's like I can't even look them in the face because I'm embarrassed for how much of a liar they are. <laughs> it, that's just a simple like... But if you build, if you start talking like that and living your life like that at a young age and you continue that on, that dishonesty, you carry that into your marriage, you carry that into every covenant that you have, and you carry that with you if you're dishonest like that. And you won't build your marriage, you'll, you'll hurt it. You can't build it on lies. You build it on the truth. And when you mess up, you get it right and you own up to it. That's all we can do. Right? That's all we can do. One man said it this way, the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. She behaves in such a manner as to be above all suspicion of anything inconsistent with strict virtue. When Caesar divorced his wife and was asked the reason of it, he said that Caesar's wife ought to be free not only of guilt, but of suspicion. All Christians ought to walk so inoffensively that the adversary that wishes to defame them may find no evil thing to say. But wives in a special manner ought, for the sake of their husbands and themselves, to keep at a great distance from everything that might sully their character because it is easily stained and not easily cleared. So it's being cautious and careful, right, to be trustworthy. Being trustworthy, young lady, is making sure you're not in the wrong place at the wrong time. Young man, it's being not in the wrong place at the wrong time. When, you, when, when something is not right and you smell something that's not right, you get up and you get out. Amen. When a situation is not right, when the conversation is going wrong, when things are not correct, you get out of it. Amen. You get out of it. Because, because the, if, you're, if your character gets sullied and, and destroyed, it is very hard to get back. Very hard. Some husbands will suspect their wives of indiscretions without the least shadow of reason. But such brutes are so rare that the, prophets, the prophetess takes no notice of them. She takes it for granted that the husband of the virtuous woman will trust to her fidelity, prudence, when she merits it so well at his hands. To give cause of suspicion is, a, is bad in a woman. To suspect without any cause is extremely ungrateful in a man. Confidence in a virtuous wife is a piece of duty to herself and pleasant to her husband. The harmony of hearts arising from mutual esteem in husband and wife affords the most delightful pleasure with anything less than religion can give. And when true piety in them both is added, it makes a kind of heaven upon earth. 
The heart of the virtuous woman's husband rejoices not only in the present pleasures, but in the agreeable prospects of future happiness and contentment. He knows that his house is managed with such frugality, and we'll talk about that later. He trusts her. He just trusts her. He can leave and handle things because he knows that she's, she's going to deal wisely with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. She does him good and not evil, right? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She takes her marital vows of in sickness and in health till death to his part seriously. She does not allow her heart to become devoted to someone or something else other than her husband, neither when she is young nor when she is old. Doesn't matter. There's, there comes a time when your children are raised and they're, they're going to be all out of the home. And I haven't experienced this yet, and i got a lot of years before I do. But, uh, but uh, that's going to happen, right? Well, your devotion to your husband as a wife is to be just as strong as it was then. To manage his affairs the same as you would before. To manage and to care for things and to love your husband the same as it was when you had a house full of children. It doesn't change. Your duties don't change. Your devotion does not change. It remains the same. Amen. She does, she does not do him good only once in a while when she is in the mood. Her heart is committed to doing him good and being a proper helpmeet for him at all times and all of their lives. There is a wifely love that is fitful, capricious, passionate in its endearments today, but tomorrow is cold sulky and sometimes splenetic. It is not the love of a true wife. It is the love of a selfish woman that seeks only her gratification. Genuine wifely love seeks the good of her husband and is constant as nature. It is a constant love. It's not a fitful passion where it's just driven up by passions. Look, it's like as a pastor, I'm not to be given over to passions, right? I'm not just supposed to serve God and lead the flock when everything's going great and everything's cared for and all the bills are paid and everything's working out great and, and, and everyone's being nice to each other and everybody, because that never happens, and, everybody, and everybody's, everybody, everything's going perfect and all that. That never happens, does it, wife? That never happens in the home, husband? That never happens, does it? If you ask your pastor, I'll tell you that never happens either. Why? You serve the Lord because it's right to do. And you continue to serve him because you're faithful to him and you love him and you fear God. And that will keep, that. by the way, that's what keeps, it's God that keeps you. When your motives are correct, God will keep you in the place that he has you. As a, as a submissive daughter, as a submissive wife, as a, as a leader, as a husband. If, you're, if you walk with God, he will keep you in all your ways. Whatever it is that your challenge is, when you're struggling in the home, when you're struggling with your family, when you're struggling, God will keep you. He'll keep you content with it. He'll strengthen you through all of those trials. He'll keep you so you don't fall. He will keep you. Amen. God will keep you. He will strengthen you. When your goal is to glorify God, no matter how hard it seems, and it seems like it's never going to end, that doesn't, God will keep you through it. If you surrender to him, if you're surrendered to him, if you have the right spirit about it, and you're not, you, you, that you don't just do it when everything feels good. Look, you have duties. There's an aspect of the Christian life called being a soldier. And that's for man and woman, by the way, in that sense. It's not just, now your duties are different than mine are as a man. But, but at the same token, you're still to be a soldier. He's not just talking to men. He didn't split that up in the text and say, well, this is just dealing with men. No. 
He says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, right? He speaks in other ways that, that we are all soldiers, right? In that sense, and we're to have our armor on spiritually. Do you think, wife, that God didn't give you armor when you got saved? You think you didn't get armor? You think it's only for men? Where do you get that from? You don't get that from the Bible. God didn't say that. God didn't say armor is just for the Christian man. No, it's for all of us. We all need to have the shield of faith on. We all need to have the helmet of salvation. We all need to have the breastplate of righteousness on, right? We all have to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's just your boots aren't going to go where mine go. And my boots aren't going where yours go as a lady. Thank God, right? But God made you specifically to wear that armor in your home. And you're to wear it. You're, you're to have that spiritual armor on and you're to fight the battles of the Lord right in your home. You think that's just for your husband? You think you're allowed to be a passive Christian and just like not live for God and not, and not walk the narrow way? And not fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life? That that's just for your husband to do? That's not for you to do in the home? Well, who's guarding the home front while he's at work? Who's guarding the family while he's at work? You are. As a mother, you are. As a wife, you are. That's why you need to be able to be trusted. Amen. Mark her conduct as a wife. Here is the inviolable faithfulness. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The husband trusts her character. She is so chaste, so truthful, so incorruptible that he reposes in her his utmost confidence. And such feelings as jealousy and suspicion in relation to her never enter his breast. He trusts her management too. For it is said, so that he shall have no need of spoil. We'll talk about that next week. Her management is so skillful, right, and industrious. Here is a practice. Many a husband have been prompted to deeds of dishonesty through the indolence and extravagance of their wife. Here is a practical affection. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She loves, but her love is not an animal sympathy that goes off in kisses and florid verbosities, but it is deep and resistless current running through her nature, bearing her on in her daily duties. It is a love that will do him good and not evil, not merely temporal good, but intellectual and moral, stimulating its higher faculties and emboldening his character. You should strengthen each other. Your wife should strengthen you and you should strengthen your wife. That's the way your characters and your natures should strengthen each other not weaken each other. You should never play off each other's weaknesses. Never. You should always try to strengthen one another and encourage each other in the Lord, not play off each other's weaknesses. Not, or I should say, not exploit each other's weaknesses. Like use it against each other. And use it for an excuse for you not to do right. That's a terrible thing to do. Well, my husband's doing this, so I'm going to do this. And knowing the inconsistency in your husband's character in a certain thing is no reason for you to take advantage of it. It's sinful. 
It's wrong. It doesn't build a strong marriage. It doesn't encourage your husband. It discourages him. You shouldn't do that. Or play off your wife's weakness if she has a weakness and you, you exploit that weakness and take advantage of it. You shouldn't do that. You're supposed to love each other. That's not loving each other. That's not strengthening each other. That's not encouraging one another. It's hurting each other. We don't do that. We don't exploit our spouse's weaknesses and take advantage of them or build off them and use it as an excuse for us not to do right. We're to trust one another. We're to be trying to build each other, not try to destroy each other. Not work against each other. Goodness. I can't imagine that. My whole married life, thank God, and, and I, I, I've not had to deal with that, where my wife was actually, actually actively working against me. Like, I, I, I've never, I mean, we, we all had our flaws. We both had been in tears and repentance and got things right and dealt with things and all that kind of stuff, right? I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying, like, I have never had to deal with a woman that was, like, actively working against me. I can't even imagine that. I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> but I, I don't want to imagine that. But th it happens where they're actively working against each other. I, I can't, I, it's like, what are you doing? It's like total chaos. And then, then out comes these like gremlins. What are the gremlins? Your children. They got fed after midnight. Boop, 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 boop. Some of you never seen gremlins. That's okay. You shouldn't. But anyway, they're, 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 like, they're like little monsters that come popping out. It's like, where'd that, man, where'd that come from? You! Because you're working against each other. Fighting each other. And I, I just, I, I don't see the point, I guess. No, you trust one another. And that trust is built up over time, right? And it's a wonderful, it's a, you, it's a beautiful thing to see. When you watch it in action, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I see it. I see it here. I see it in marriages here. I watch it. I watch. I people watch. I'm like, not with binoculars and weird stuff, but just with my eyes. I, not in windows and all kinds of weird stuff like that. But not just, just like right here, right? In front of you. I had to clarify that, Paul, right? Because you know, this day and age, you just never know, all right? You people watch. What a weirdo. I don't, I don't go to the mall to people watch. I just do it at church. Right? I just... But I do, and I watch it, and I see it, and I, I, I'm encouraged by it. It encourages me. Also, though, I see when there's dysfunction. I see that, too. When it's not, now I'm not talking about immaturity in the sense of just like, you know, new. I kind of get a kick out of that because I remember it. You know, and I, I, when I see that new, I just, I chuckle at it a little bit. It doesn't like, like, I'm not like critical of it. I just kind of chuckle at it. I was like, yeah, we all have those times. And we go through those things, right? But I don't make a big deal of that because it's you build that in a marriage. That that stuff grows in time. But it always when I see that there's like complete dysfunction and you can see it and it's evident, whew, it's sad. It's the most beautiful picture when it's right and when it's and by the way, I'm talking about direction. I'm not talking about perfection. The Christian life in this life on this side is direction. It is not perfection. That comes in heaven. We'll have it one day. Praise God. We'll be home. Amen? But here, it's the direction. When I see the direction is right, it's encouraging to me. 
when I see people lying to themselves and lying to each other and acting like that, it's discouraging to watch that. I'm saddened by it to see it because it shouldn't be that way among God's people. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to trust each other. We're supposed to be able to trust each other, right? You're supposed to be able to trust each other. You know, you reasonably speaking, you know, you ask your wife to do something, you ask your husband to do something, or, or whatever the case may be. That's reasonably speaking, they're going to do it most of the time. That's the way it should be. Like I don't have to wonder, well, is she really going to do this? Man, you shouldn't have to. I mean, things happen, you know, house crazy things, kids get sick, all things can happen to change things. Then that's when grace comes in and your grace is like, oh yeah. That's when you and I roll up our sleeves and do what we can. Amen. I mean that and I do it. But I'm talking about just out and out like disobedience, usurping your husband's authority, going around it, disparaging him, talking bad about him, or belittling, or your wife, for that matter. If you come to me and start blaming your wife with a whole long list of things about everything that's wrong, I'd like to sit down with both of you. I, I'll, I'll talk about your list. She might have one too. Don't forget. Right? She remember that. She probably got one too. And then I can make one up. And you know what mine's going to be? to get you working together on the same list. Because that's the answer to it. You can rip up your list and just follow God. Amen? You just love each other. How about that? How about you just love each other? How about you do that? Instead of fighting with each other, you just love each other. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? That's the way God intended it to work. Man, I'm hitting, my, I'm hitting the wall for you all here. I got to... Boy, this is good stuff, though. This is needful stuff. This is the stuff that helps you every day in life, right? It helps us deal with things in life. It helps us grow and be what God wants us to be. Amen? I like it. I like being helped. It don't always feel good because then, you know, we always have to check ourselves. Now, preach on them transgenders, preacher. <laughs> I call them guys. I like Preach on them guys. They're squirrely little boys. Preach on them. No, we got to preach on this. Amen. Amen. I like what this man says. He says, genuine wifely love seeks the good of her husband, is constant as nature, is not a meteoric spark that comes and goes, however brilliant, always worthless, but a sunbeam that continues through all the life the same. It's constant. Constant. I'm going to read you these quotes here because I think they're necessary here. They're helpful. There are some wives who are constant plague to their husbands, vexing them with their ungodly and perverse behavior every day and every hour of their life. There are others who do some good to their husbands, but at the same time do them so much evil that they cannot without any propriety be called virtuous wives. They take good care of their substance and will not spend a penny without necessity, but they tease their husbands and eat the very life out of all their comforts by perpetual contentions and by fretting at every trifle and every nothing. Nitpicky. Just pecking away at them. Right? But the virtuous woman doth good and not evil to her husband, and that not only at a particular times, but every day. 
Some wives are like the days of April. At one time they are serene and pleasant, but at other times they are all tempest and fury. And at another time they are like a continual dropping. The virtuous wife is as careful to please her husband by an even and sweet temper as she is to manage his affairs with discretion. She is the same today and will be the same tomorrow as she was yesterday. She is the same 20 or 50 years after their marriage and she, as she was the first month. Neither sickness nor poverty nor old age nor even the heirs into which her husband may fall in managing the business of his family will dampen her love. The more he needs, the more he enjoys her tender sympathy. If he should sometimes, through the frailty of human nature, be so ungrateful as to speak harshly to her, she will bear with him and forgive him. When he is dead, she will cherish his memory, and when the relation is loosed by the parting stroke, she will do, still do him good by showing kindness to his children for his sake. As a husband of a sensual and worldly woman, on the other hand, cannot trust her. He cannot trust her not to give her heart to another. He cannot trust her to spend his money wisely. He cannot trust her to keep his secrets. By the way, we all have secrets. There's things that we don't want people to know. I mean, seriously, that's why you have locked doors. You don't want anybody in your house, right? That's why, it's, right? That's why, you, that's why, you, uh, that's why you put clothes on. There's things you don't want people to know about you, right? Amen. Thank God we're all wearing them, right? Because we're clothed in our right minds, right? So we... we, we we, we, there's things that we don't want people to know. There's things that you, that only your wife knows about you, and that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's not wrong. There's things that your wife tells you that no other man will ever know about her, and they don't need to. They don't need to know that. Amen? So the, there's things that that trust should be there, right? It should be there. But this, this woman, he cannot trust her to be doing what she would be doing when he is not looking. In other words, like he leaves and nothing's being done the way it's supposed to be done. See, if there's inconsistency in the home, it, one of the things that will show it shows up in the children. If the children's behavior is completely erratic, I'm not talking about a two-year-old being a two-year-old. I'm talking about completely erratic behavior, off the walls, not Christian, not, not, not doing right. Not, it's because when that man, if that man portrays himself as to be that man that believes those things and teaches his wife those things, the reason why those things are happening is because there's not consistency there. So something is not being done right. Something is not consistent with what is being said or what is being preached, right? Because otherwise the behavior would be there for the most part. We understand the fallen nature and everything like that. I'm not discussing that, but it's things with children or that you know that, 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 well, things aren't being done right. We've experienced that where you've seen people talk a good talk like that, but then you watch their kids punch women in the face. Well, there's more than once, Right? Because if you ever did that once, you might do something once like that, but you're probably not going to do it again. What do you think? Probably not going to do that again. That's not going to be your normal course of life, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change that quickly, right? But what happens when it's not? Well, because there's inconsistency. Right? It's not, it's, it's complete inconsistency, right? So it's, it's not the way that it should be. So, but a husband ought to be able to trust that if he sets the order for the home, if that's the direction that they have, they, the husband and the wife agree on things, right? Then that's the way that it is. And you trust her that she's going to fulfill that. 
that role, right? Now, if she needs your help to fulfill that, then it's your responsibility to help her to do that. We are to help one another in our work, right? So if I need to help her, if there's something that I need to do as a husband to ensure that she is able to do that, sometimes husbands expect women to do things, but they don't give them the resources and the help to do them. Well, don't expect that woman to do that when you're not doing what you're to help her. You can expect it, but you're going to have a lot of frustration, and it's not very loving and kind to put, to put uh, barbarous things on your wife like that and like beat them down with those things when you're not providing the necessary tools for them to succeed. Your job is to make sure it's there so she can do it, whatever it is. If it's not being done, don't blame her for it in that sense. You know, you want to cause frustration and angst in a woman, you just do that. And you're expecting all this stuff out of her. I mean, that's a tyrant that does that. That you're Pharaoh now, and you're not giving her straw for the bricks, right? Right? It's a tyrant, isn't it? It's like, well, you don't want to give her what she needs to do it, but you expect her to still do it? Not good. Right? That's right. That's exactly what the world does. Right? Show up to the job site, there's no tools to work, right? But then you're still, why aren't you getting 10 jobs done a day? I don't know. Maybe if you provide 50% of what I need, I could get at least half of it done. Right? Not much has changed, has it? Not much has changed since Pharaoh made the bricks or uh, took the straw away from the Israelites, right? Made them go gather their own straw. And well, no, you do this job and you make sure it's done and you gather the straw to do it. Well, that's, some husbands are like that too. They do that to their wives and they make them... You know, make them do that. That's not right, right? I can trust my wife to do, but I need to fulfill my responsibilities and help her to do that, right, as best I can, to give her the tools to succeed. Just like with your children, as I raise them, we give them the tools to succeed, right? We, we give them the building blocks of things to receive. And the number one thing you give them is Christ. Number one, you show them Jesus. Number two, you provide a stable home for them, a father and a mother that's there. You keep that mom there. Amen. I tell you, you don't, you don't understand the emotion. i got to stop right now because I can keep going. Derek's got to eat some food. He's going to get hungry. i got to get moving. But, but here's the thing. If you keep that mom in that home like that and that mom is doing what she's supposed to do to create, that creates such a stability emotionally for those children. The emotional stability of children tend to be upon their mothers. If they grow up emotionally instable, generally it's going to be the mother. Generally, now you give a father that's abusive and everything, but there have been children that have grown up in those homes and still made it and made it successfully because they had a mother that loved them. <laughs> a mother that loves you goes a long ways to stability in, in a home and a child. And her husband can trust her, the heart of her husband to safely trust in her. It's one of the number one attributes, number two attribute. Number one is virtuous. Number two is the is trustworthiness. There's got to be that trust built up. Amen. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your book. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, that we can read it and study it and grow thereby. It feeds our souls. Helps us in our lives. Lord, help us to be obedient. We're not always the way we should be, Lord. Please forgive us. Please help us to do right. Show us our errors, Lord, and correct us in measure. And help us to grow in you. Lord, bless your church. Bless every lady here and every husband here and every child here, Lord. And bring those that have never known Christ to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. That they could know that peace that passeth all understanding in their hearts and minds. Help us, Lord. Thank you so much for all you do. Be with our sick, Lord. Heal them, we pray. Strengthen those 
and keep them from ill and from evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.